Hi, I'm Dr. Chris Crowley, and welcome to another episode of Beauty and the Brain. Let's talk about sex. So we have a great topic today, and we have a wonderful guest here with us, um, a friend of ours uh, for a while. Um, we have with us Sherry Hedden. So welcome, Sherry. Thank you. We're excited to have you here. I'm Jerry Drinker, family nurse practitioner, and together Chris and I own Skin and Tonica Med Spa in Pace, Florida. And we're very fortunate to have Sherry here. You've been a, a friend of ours and patient over at the clinic, and we're just happy to have you here. Well, thank you for asking me. Well, today we have a, a, a really exciting uh, podcast, and I think so many people are interested in, uh, in this topic, and especially to get some of your insight on this. So uh, many of you guys know that are listening to us that uh, we provide sexual health services at Skin and Tonic. And so uh, Jerry and I have kind of been uh, doing this for a while now. So we started uh, just to do some PRP facials, things with plasma therapies, and part of the class that we took included a portion where we learned to do O shots and P shots. And this was, you know, right after these uh, procedures kind of first got their trademark by uh, Dr. Ronalds. And, uh, but at that time we both said, no, we're not doing anything below the neck. Yeah. <laughs> we don't For, want forever. We, we did, we, we treat from nipples up. Yeah. We don't want to talk about it. That's not our issue. I don't even remember exactly now. I think a patient had some nipple sensitivity issues after a breast surgery and she kind of convinced us to do PRP. She had read something about it and knew we were doing those procedures. And then uh, from that, it kind of grew and we started, uh, you know, treating some males and females with P shots and O shots and saw the great results that they had and the impact it had on their life. And the more we kind of researched this field and the more patients that we treated, for us, it was something that was really different than the other aesthetics we were providing. So it wasn't just filling a wrinkle or a line. We really were uh, able to help them in a way that kind of positively changed their outlook on life in general. But one of the things that, that we still struggle with, and this is where I think uh, it's so important to have uh, your expertise and people like you, is we don't have the training or the expertise to do the psychological part that goes along with this. We can help you with the physical problems, but we don't have all the expertise. And so uh, do you want to take a few minutes and tell us about yourself and your background and how you got into this? Sure, sure. So my name is Sherry Hendon. I am an independent clinical social worker. And then I specialize in the treatment of trauma, and I'm also a certified sex addiction therapist. And so my first job out of college, I ended up at a group home for teenage boys that had uh, landed in foster care because of some of their sexual behaviors. So that was kind of, you know, being thrown into the fire there. And then the next job that I got was in child welfare at the Department of Human Resources in a small town in Alabama. And so that was really being thrown in the deep end of the pool. You know, I saw everything there that could be done to a child. And I stayed there for about five years. And they had a great um, incentive program back then where you could go and get your master's in social work. And so I did that. Um, I'll never forget my first day at a DHR. They had me shadow a lady that had her master's in social work and um, she held a difficult meeting with a birth family and talked about, you know, uh, child abuse and neglect and she ran that meeting. And I said, I wanna be like her when I grow up. So <laughs> here I am. Here you are. We all have those people in our lives, right? It's a great thing that they form such powerful impressions and memories. So. Yes. Um, so now you do a lot of work, not just on, uh, you know, 
sex addiction, sex therapy, but a lot of other sorts of trauma and PTSD as well, right? Yes, yes, PTSD is definitely my thing. Probably the most common thing that I work with people is for their anxiety. You know, anxiety is probably the most common mental illness and there's, you know, lots of different causes, but it can really impact someone's quality of life. You know, I, I, I don't think I realized um, the impact that PTSD and anxiety had on sex until, or intimacy, I should say, until we started doing more sexual health at the clinic. And I was seeing young guys that, you know, appear healthy and appear well and, and everything seemed like it should be okay and they were coming and they were having issues. And a lot of it were, was related to some type of um, PTSD. And, you know, it's, it, it, we'll let you elaborate on this a little bit. The anxiety around performance can be devastating if it doesn't perform. And so, you know, it's, it's, pretty amazing the impact that that can have on someone's overall well-being. And so when you when you talk about PTSD, do you think it's necessarily related to a trauma or to an incident or can it be related to like PTSD related to sex itself or performance anxiety? All of the above, you know, uh, our like our medical system has done a really good job kind of separating out the body from the mind, but they're connected. So anything that affects us physically will also affect us mentally. But I will never forget one day when you and I were talking and you said women can sexually perform being disordered, but men not necessarily the case. And, you know, I knew that, but to have it broken down for me like that, I was like, wow, you know, that's really true. And so much of, you know, a person's self-concept and, you know, who they feel that they show up in their family can be related to all of those things. Well, it's just a big part of, of overall well-being and, and who we are. And I, I think that when you aren't able to to meet not even someone else's expectations, but your own expectations. I think we hold ourselves to a lot of times higher standards than someone else does. And so not being able to meet our own expectations, there's a whole different class of anxiety, I think just that we put on ourselves. you know? In my opinion, like a lot of times, you know, the your lover or your companion or whatever, they're a lot more forgiving um, towards us than we are. Yes. Um, how do you think like PTSD like impacts what we're seeing at the at the clinic, like our population? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, like you said, it, it's interesting because you can't separate a lot of these things. And I think there is some sort of stress-related disorder. I don't know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know all the actual diagnosis, but we see these guys that come in and they had a drunk night or something, you know, happened and they couldn't perform it the way they wanted to. So they had some sort of, uh, erectile problem in a particular instance, and then they get so stressed about that, that like perpetuates the problem even further. We've had people that come in and tell us we're so anxious and so nervous because they worry about anticipating sex and they try to sneak and take Viagra or whatever their, their crutch is, and they don't want their partner finding out that they're taking it. That alone 
causes stress about that actual, you know, the, the act of sex. And so, you know, I, I think it's an interesting question in the way that, that you phrase it, because I think we think about some of these incidents, like you have to undergo some sort of abuse or be involved in some sort of, uh, you know, car crash or some big trauma to have this. But I think just the physical act of not being able to perform at the time that you want is in and of itself a stressful situation that can then perpetuate this problem. Yes, and so I was going to kind of go down a, a little bit of a rabbit yeah, hole yeah, and say, like, part of my role as a certified sex addiction therapist is to help people get in a place where they can be intimate. Like, unfortunately, intimacy has gotten to where it means uh, sex, but that's not what intimacy really is. You know, intimacy is being open, genuine, and honest on purpose to deepen the relationship. So being able to communicate with your partner about even having a problem is sometimes a greater act of intimacy than even having sex itself. But that being, being able to be intimate is impaired by trauma because at a fundamental level, trauma impairs our ability to trust, to trust even ourselves. And that's interesting because, I mean, uh, you know, we, we've also talked a bit about this. We have um, a really... Um, it seems like a disproportionate number of military patients that we see, and it's men and women, but you know, obviously we, we have a lot of guys that have come in for actual treatments for erectile dysfunction of some sort, and they've been in a situation, and I guess it really does kind of factor into what you're saying, like if they've been in some sort of trauma or, or war situation or things that uh, where they're not in control, there's other things that impact them, then it makes it very hard to trust even their own feelings, much less that of their spouse, and, and to share those things. I never put those two together until the day you and I were talking, and we were talking about um, PTSD, and I was, I was talking about my PTSD military patients in particular the day we were talking, and I was like, I just d didn't understand how does PTSD cause sexual performance issues? And you were like, sex is about trust. And especially for guys performing, you have to be able to trust to perform, you know, unless you do have some type of, you know, assistance, I guess, Viagra or, but we have a lot of people as well that they're on, those crutches don't help, you know? And so I, I think being able to, to create, recreate that trust or reestablish that development of trust within someone's self is important. And one of the, the questions that, um, that I always ask my patients the first time I interview them is, are you able to masturbate? Yes. And I think that, you know, when someone's able to masturbate, but they have a sexual performance issue, that tells us a lot about what we're dealing with. And sometimes that's when they need someone like you, someone more than me. Like it's that's over my head, and so you know. But it seems like such a simple question, and such a question that's probably not necessarily what you expect to hear when you come to an aesthetic clinic. And so, do you want to talk a little about that and how that can like tell us a lot about what we're dealing with? Yes. Yeah, so one thing I did want to note is, you know, the first thing that we need for any kind of healing from these kind of issues is a feeling of safety. And I think that's one of the reasons why y'all have been so successful is you have created that feeling of safety for patients and then you found ways to bring it up, you know, to talk about it. And that goes, you know, just such a long, long way. The thing about trauma, we always are able to recognize it because it keeps us stuck. 
So if you encounter someone who is, you know, stuck, say, in a sexual situation, that would be an indicator to kind of explore a little deeper or maybe invite them to see, you know, somebody like me. What I tell patients the first time that I see them is I say, you know, I worked in child welfare for five years. I've been a certified sex addiction therapist for several years. I don't know if I can be shocked anymore. <laughs> so the stuff that you might be bringing, you might think that it's triple X, but maybe to me it's PG. So, you know, whatever you want to talk about, you know, that's what we're here to, to work on. But I wanted to bring up um, the uh, technique that I use to reprocess trauma memories. It's called EMDR, and that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprogramming. And what's beautiful about that technique is you're not in therapy forever. You know, um, when I get a new patient that has, you know, trouble with anxiety, or I guess really everybody that I see now is I teach them self-soothing techniques, again, to help them learn to create that sense of safety within themselves for themselves. Now, I'm not against medicine, but, you know, medicine runs out sometimes. So making sure that people are good at soothing themselves, learning how to do it on the fly, you know, independently, that's the very first thing that I do. And then we work towards uh, EMDR. And so one of the beautiful things about EMDR is you don't really discuss any details of the trauma. You're just thinking about it. Because a lot of the patients that I work with have had, you know, uh, childhood sexual abuse. Nobody wants to talk about that. But that's where the healing is that they need. So that's why EMDR is, is so fantastic. And, you know, I enjoy talking with you about the veterans. Uh, I used to work in an inpatient substance abuse facility with veterans that, you know, had PTSD and substance abuse problems. And the kind of experiences that they found themselves in are sometimes unimaginable, you know, for, for people like us. Um, and they just had to do their best. And those kinds of uh, situations can't always be replicated, you know, back in the States. And so, you know, just trying to, to deal with that. And, you know, the hardest thing for a lot of them is coming back to their life or figuring out what their life is now. And instead of like looking around the trauma all the time, learning to put it away and get it out when you want to, instead of being, you know, besieged by it every so often and not being able to enjoy. And, you know, something I noticed with uh, PTSD as well is it takes away for a lot of people our ability to kind of be spontaneous or take risks or kind of do things on the fly. It kind of keeps people small. Yeah. You know, like while you were talking about that, I was thinking like with, with PTSD, we talked about the PTSD impact and sexual performance and how someone can't perform. But I would think there could also be the complete opposite end of the spectrum yes. where PTSD could create like a, a hypersexuality, if you want to say that, or a, a sexual addiction, which is one of your specialties. And so, like, how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, they're they're something that I think are caused by the same thing, but they're two completely different presentations presentations yes yes and so people that have trauma they have to have usually some kind of compulsive or addictive behavior to medicate the pain of that trauma and i love to remind people we don't get to pick what that is like it's just kind of based on our you know biology for some people that's food for some people it's gambling for some people it's benzodiazepines like you know we don't get to pick 
but realizing that that behavior has a purpose. And that's why, like with a lot of the, I guess the, the quick fixes, you know, take this pill or, or what have you, I'm not as big of a fan of those things because there's always an underlying behavior. And so just like uh, I remember when I was working in an um, inpatient facility, we got a whole bunch of ladies that had had gastric bypass, um, you know, a year, six months before that. And they had never had any problems with substance abuse. But when they could not use their food addiction anymore, then they became substance abuse addicts. So that's why I'm a big supporter of, you know, people addressing those underlying needs is because it can just create another problem. Yeah, I mean, that that's, you know, absolutely fascinating. And it, it kind of also brings up another point that we started to talk about a little bit before we went on, the, on air for this episode. But, you know, how do you determine what is the, the you know, deciding factor between a, a sex addiction or something that may be a response to trauma versus just a normal, healthy, active sex life? That is a fantastic question, and I will answer that as Patrick Carnes does. He's kind of like the grandfather of sex addiction treatment. And what he says is if someone's sexual behavior is violating their own moral standards, their own values, you know, you kind of see that double life in really extreme forms. But, you know, lots of times I'll invite people to think about is that sexual behavior causing problems at work? Is it causing problems at home in the relationship, you know, with the law? People that uh, struggle with addiction, they will do things even though they know better. And so when you look at those patterns over time, that's when you're like, you know, there may be a sex addiction. Yeah, that, I mean, that's interesting because I, like, I really don't think people think of it that way. But it's like, yeah, people can, can have a normal, healthy, active sex life. It doesn't have to be an addiction. So what, would you, what advice would you give, uh, you know, to me or to Jerry or providers like us that are out there listening uh, to help break down the barriers to get their patients to consider therapy? I know that, uh, I, you know, I, you and I may have talked about this in the past. We're very open about um, our past and huge believers in therapy. It definitely, um, I think, changed the trajectory of our relationship. Uh, Jerry thought that I was a little bit crazy because um, we, uh, with, my, with my prior relationship, we went to a therapist at the end of an 11-year relationship, and we expected this individual to fix problems that had been present for years. And it's like, you know, I didn't think about it at the time. It's like, that's what you do. You're going through trouble. You go to the therapist. And um, but then, you know, kind of in hindsight, I looked at it and I'm like, that was really crazy. Like, how do we expect one person to undo all of those years of problems in this short period of time? Uh, and so then fast forward a bit and Jerry and I, um, you know, we're, we're dating and he was, we're considering him moving to Chicago. And I said, I think we need to go to therapy from the beginning. I don't know if it's the right thing, but it certainly didn't work the other way around where we went at the end. So I think that we need to try something different. And he thought, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm sure he was just appeasing me at the moment. Like, but what he didn't realize is he moved like a strange date. I mean, <laughs> Like I flew to Chicago and we had a therapy session. And I'm like, session. I have a therapy session. And so, um, you know, Vimy, if you're out there listening to us, she's, uh, you know, been a bit, was our therapist for a long time when we were there. And um, I can't, you know, tell you how much help that, that she provided for both of us. But we did start going right away and we went weekly and it changed really um, the trajectory of our relationship. And we were able to both work individually and figure out 
what were things that were prior traumas that we had experienced, what were triggers, what way did we need to communicate with each other to make a, a strong um, foundation for our relationship. But literally that was because I had been through a prior bad situation where I thought therapy doesn't work. So I know a lot of people think that it's useless. It's just talking and I don't need to go just talk to someone. And so I try to share our personal story as many times as I can mm -hmm. to let people know that, look, you, you know, you can get through all this and it was incredibly beneficial to us. But I still struggle with trying to get patients who think it's just nothing more than talking to understand the benefit of going to see a professional. You know, something I like to ask people is, do you want the kind of relationships that you were around when you were a child? Is that the kind of marriage that you want? Is that the kind of relationship you want? Because all of that is kind of laid down. It's almost like the, the pattern, the default. So if you don't want that, then you're gonna have to do some work to have something different. I did think he was crazy. Like, <laughs> I mean, in hindsight, it worked for us. I mean, here we are like many, many years later, but it really did kind of guide us on, because I think most relationships are good when they start because it's fun. You know, and we we had a long distance relating relationship, and I told Chris like it was almost like a bachelor relationship because we we would meet at conferences and it would be like really fun locations, and we'd eat at the best of restaurants, or we would go hot air ballooning, or we would do you know it was always fun things. It was like destination dates because we lived so far apart. Or I'd go to Chicago and we'd go like you know see a show or a swanky restaurant, but I'm like. How do we keep it like this? Like, you know, and 15 years later, it's, I'm not saying that it's been easy every step, but I, my communication was really bad because my family, we don't talk. Right. We don't talk about it. And Chris's family is very much like that, but somehow he broke that barrier. Both of our families are probably dying that we're talking about this on a podcast right now. <laughs> probably like, oh my God. I'll tag you, mama. <laughs> <laughs> but it really has been something that's been beneficial and not just in our relationship, I think, but in all of my other relationships too, was having that professional that helped to guide us through, or especially me personally, to help to guide me to be like, it's okay to say something that someone doesn't like, or it's, it doesn't, it's okay for you to feel uncomfortable to say something. And then once it's out, like it's almost like a breath of fresh air. It's like that felt so good to get that done. And so like, and I think a lot of the people that are suffering from some of the sexual issues or the, the addictions and that sort of thing, because sex is taboo. Even the topic of this is gonna get more likes than weight loss. I mean, it, it really will because it's taboo. People want to know about it and they want to talk about it, but they don't really want to talk about it. And so I think the removing the taboo from sex is so important. And I think that's what people like you kind of got people like us and people like them, that everyone that's listening, you know. So. Do you have any uh, advice on how to, to spice up relationships, spice up the bedroom for people who have been in relationships? We had a patient ask us that yesterday, yesterday right? I, I told a patient yesterday that we were doing this podcast today, and he's been in a long-term relationship, 15-year relationship, and that was, he's asked, he's like, ask her how to keep it spicy. How to keep it spicy after 15 years. Yes, so I just got back from the symposium, the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, and there was a, a, a 
great topic there. And I wrote the name down because I knew I wanted to share it with y'all. So it's Peggy Kleinplatz and it's Magnificent Sex. That's her book, Lessons from Extraordinary Lovers. And so it's so funny, you know, when you go to conferences and like, what's the one thing, you know, that you remember? I remember her saying that of all of the people that she studied, people said that they had the best sex of their lives, 55 and older. And I said, Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Sherry's looks are misleading because you'd think that she wasn't anywhere near yeah, 55 <laughs> and older, and and you're not you're not there. But we're 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 approaching. So, yes, yeah, who does all of us? Yes, absolutely. And so, we're all wired for that intimacy. And so, if we don't have it, we're always wanting it. But if something has happened where we're not able to trust then we can't have it. So really that intimacy, that connectedness, that's truly the key to great sex. All right. It seems so, so that, simple. I know. It seems so simple. Seems so simple. So simple, but so hard to, to uh, you know, achieve. Yeah. Sounds like we need, uh, you know, to make sure we have a fresh stack of your cards in the office because we need to send a lot more people your way. Absolutely. Well, good relationships take work, you know, just like you were describing. Um, I think you would be hard pressed to find anybody that has a good relationship that would not tell you, yes, you know, there's been some rough spots. Yes, we needed to do some work. Yeah. And I, I think that's uh, that's where they're like in the bedroom or at work. Good relationships, period, take work and and communication. And those are those are things that, you know, you have to be willing to do. And it's not always things that are easy to do. Now, when you start the, the, you know, working with some of these patients, uh, obviously it's going to be very different based on the, the situation of that individual. But is this, uh, you know, an exceedingly long process for people to see results? So if they're saying, I want to go to therapy, but is this going to take me a year before I see results? I mean, what, what do you... Uh, tell people when they ask you those sorts of questions. I always ask them what their goals are. It could be that they just want to, you know, see improvement in one area of their life. And if that's all that they want, you know, then that's fine. But if we're talking about like sex addiction recovery, we're usually not just talking about the individual. We're talking about their family, you know, especially their, their spouse, you know, their children. So then we can be talking about, you know, a, a two to, to four year process where everybody's involved. But I don't think I've ever found anybody that hasn't, you know, gone on that path that has not said that it was completely worth it. Yeah, and I, and I think that's good for people to know that there is hope regardless of how long you have to work at it. I would think I was thinking more specifically for some of our patients that are having trouble with trust issues in general. And, you know, I guess the message that I want to get out there is that this is not something that, that uh, you know, will take you years. It may take years to fully recover to to learn how to deal with these things but at least in my experience and you know um, from the limited discussions we've had it's something that people can start seeing results from sooner it's something that it's a work in progress and it's not going to you're not going to go in every session and every bit of work that you put into it you're going to get results from that it may not be you know where you don't have to go anymore. It's not a one and done sort of thing, but you're gonna see continual improvement and you're gonna you know, not have to do that for years. Cause I think that's the other barrier. People think if I have to go every week for a year before I see any results, I really don't have time. I don't you know, have the money, whatever the, their barriers are. But I think time is a big thing because people have this 
conception, or, you know, preconceived notion that it's going to take years to see any result. And where years may be necessary to fully resolve an issue, I think you see things sooner than that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, no, you're, you're right. And I was actually thinking about um, some patients that I've treated uh, in the past. Um, like uh, one that was coming to mind was uh, a young man that actually had to shoot and kill somebody to save his own life. So, and he came to to see me for that because it had just, you know, taken over his life. He could barely work. He couldn't sleep. You know, his marriage was about to fall apart. So we did, um, I think we ended up doing three EMDR sessions on that one event. And the amount of uh, progress that he made was amazing. So we're talking about like maybe we can do EMDR every two weeks. So we're talking about, you know, bi-weekly sessions for a few months and he's seeing massive improvement. And that's amazing. And, and, and like I said, that's what I, you know, one of the messages I want to get out there is when we say, you know, go and get help, go see a therapist, a psychologist, somebody with expertise, you know, it's, I think it, so many people brush it off because of that time, but it, it's well worth the effort and it's not years to start seeing results. You can start really, uh, you know, developing those relationships much sooner than that. Any uh, final thoughts that you have, Jerry? Or? I'm just glad that we have you as a as a resource and as a friend certainly, but as a resource because like I've, you and I have talked on several occasions about different things that I have come up with patients that I'm not really sure how to handle, and so I just appreciate it that that you're available for us and available, and we'll put your contact information in the links. Um, and just like happy to have you as part of us. Any final thoughts that you want to? Um, I just wanted to share how happy I was, you know, especially like the P wave, you know, that's so exciting, that treatment for, you know, men that maybe not exactly sure, you know, what's going on with some performance problems, but something that's available. Hope. Yeah, there's hope. And it's not invasive. It doesn't have to hurt. So. Right. You know, the one thing I do want to kind of like jump back a little bit and uh, before we close this out is we focused a lot on men and I think this is, but it's, it's something that definitely doesn't uh, spare women and maybe not always for the same reasons. And we did touch on that, you know, like mechanically they can uh, do things. It's not like a, a guy who may not be able to, but oftentimes women have their, their own sorts of issues. And I didn't realize, um, the extent of that until you know really recently the more that we have women ask us about these these problems um and i think there's as you know like i said it's a different population that we're seeing it's more like hormonal changes but sex becomes painful so it's not that they can't do it but they don't enjoy it because it hurts and you know definitely we want uh, all of our women listeners to know that there's options for them as well so you know we have some uh, treatments in the clinic that can help especially with uh, perimenopausal dryness vaginal atrophy some of these things that can cause that uncomfortable and we certainly have resources available uh, referring patients out for any kind of the psychological help that they need but also for uh, any urogynecological evaluations they need from those appropriate professionals to make sure that there's not something more serious going on but we have a lot of options for women too it's not just men that have these problems. Yep, because we got to be in tip-top shape for that great sex that's coming for all of us at 55. 55, that's a magic number. <laughs> so, all right, well, thank you so much, Sherry, for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. All of you that uh, tuned in to listen, we hope you've learned a lot from this episode. We're going to uh, put all the links for and resources for things that we talked about throughout this episode, and we look forward uh, to seeing you next week. See you soon.